So today we're concluding our series on 1 John. We'll be looking at uh, chapter 5, verse 13, through the end of the chapter. And it's, if you haven't been part of this series, we're glad to have you all visiting uh, with us today. Um, this is kind of a summary of, uh, of what John has been saying, some of the key points. And so uh, let's listen to God's word, 1 John five thirteen through verse 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is God's word. Let's pray. Well, Lord, our God, our King, our Lord, our Creator, our Preserver, our Redeemer, we give you thanks, we give you praise that you are pleased to have a relationship with us, that you are pleased to connect with us whom you have made, who are infinitely below you, but yet loved by you. And so, Lord, even as you have loved us so much, just send your Son, O Lord, love us in giving us instruction today to see him greater than ever before, to appreciate the value of what he has done for us, to confirm and seal that to our hearts, to strengthen and awaken our faith and hope in him, to give us greater love for our Savior, and to also see that our fellowship that is with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is also with one another. And that it is one communion, one fellowship with God and man. And, O oh Lord, that we might lean into that and by your grace be able to love our brothers and sisters whom we see, even, though we, even as we love you whom we do not see. And so, Lord, we pray that you would awaken our hearts to these things. Give us a heart for your people. Give us a heart for you. Give us a heart that is ready to understand and hear. Speak to each person here. Give us your spirit, O oh Lord. We can't speak or teach in a way that will awaken hearts, but you can. And so, Lord, we come to you asking that you would help us to see the greater things that you have called us to to be and to do through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Excuse me. So, one of the lessons that, that I've had to learn as pastor and then just living life in general, is that everything you do involves a level of organization or administration or lists. And it can be really frustrating to people who like to get out there and do stuff that you have to do a little bit of planning to make things work, but it's part of everything. But it seems like it's easy for let these types of things kind of overwhelm us. And it's interesting to see that people, how how busy people are, even people who are retired, they always tell me, like, I'm busier now than I ever was when I was working. And it's like, how can this be? Well, things have a way of just kind of taking over our lives and getting us busy. 
And it's easy to miss what's most important. But that's one reason I love Christmas. Because Christmas is about bringing us back to that which is most important. Which is our fellowship with God. Because God has come down to fellowship with us. And we gather together. And we remember that it's fellowship with people that matters most. So even as we have to do a lot of things in this world, we're busy with lots of things, we always got to remember that the goal of human life is fellowship with God and fellowship with man. And that's why John wrote this letter, to remind them and to assure them and to enable them and empower them to enjoy that fellowship with God and man that we were created for. He says, I write this so you might have fellowship with us, namely the apostles, but by extension, the rest of the church, he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And so that's what life is all about. And that's what this letter is all about. And so I want to call your attention back to that um, on this last sermon that I'm preaching here in 2021 and on the book of John to remind you of what is most important, touching on a few points as led by the, the Lord as he leads us through this section to see about that fellowship that we have with God and man. And so let's consider it. I, I'm just going to look at five different things because there's, it's like very distinct little topics here. Knowing the fellowship, using the fellowship, concern for others' fellowship, assurance of fellowship, and guarding the fellowship. Okay? Now, can someone repeat those back to me? So I'll, I'll talk about them as we go. So knowing the fellowship is the first one. So... The first question we might ask is, how can we have fellowship with God? Because, first of all, God is infinitely above us. I mean, it'd be like having us having a fellowship with an ant. You know, it's like, not, not our ants and uncles, I mean, like the insect. Um, the, it's, it's, what can you do there? There's not much. I mean, we're so far above the ant. And so, the Lord is above us. So, we might even think, how can we even have fellowship with God? But then, we also recognize that we're criminals in His universe, that we not only... Not only is he infinitely above us, but we've sinned against him and and incurred an infinite punishment. And the good news of this this book is that in spite of that fact, we can have fellowship with God. That he wants to connect with us. And he wants us to know that we have that fellowship. This is what he says in 1 John 5 verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now remember, eternal life is not necessarily just living forever. Eternal life is fellowship with God, to know you, as Jesus said, the only true God to his Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, and by extension then also with other human beings. And so, he wants them to know that they have that fellowship, which also lasts forever. And how can we know? That we can have fellowship with God? And the answer is because God has sent his son into this world. God becoming man. To know that he wants to connect with us. That this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. And sent his son into the world to be an atoning sacrifice. To cover all our sins. So God has done what is necessary for us to have fellowship with him. What's left for us? To accept that gift. To accept that fellowship. And that's why... And that means faith. That means believing. That means accepting that we get from God what we could not do for ourselves, which is a relationship with him and forgiveness and renewal and glorification, life with him forever. God has done what is necessary, and we have to believe. So if we believe then, 
then we know that we can have eternal life. So he says, I write this to you who believe that you know, may know that you have eternal life. If you believe, you can know that you have faith. And if you know you have faith, then you know that you are a son or daughter of God in fellowship with him. And faith also can be known in a certain way too because faith has its own fruits by which you can identify it as surely as you can identify an apple tree from the apples on it, which is love for God, wanting to walk in the ways of his commandments, and love for our brothers and sisters. And when we see that within us, then it shows us that we have faith, and it shows us that then we have eternal life, and it's like a circle of confidence growing as we approach the day of the Lord's coming. And so, that's what he wants us to know. Now, it doesn't mean that we walk perfectly in the way of love. It doesn't mean we obey God's commandments perfectly, because he actually says in this book, remember, if anyone sins, if anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar. So, we're going to have sins, but what do we do? We need to admit that. We need to confess that, and then we have forgiveness, and we continue to walk in the way. And the fact that we do that shows that we have faith. And then that gives us assurance, and we can be confident in approaching God. It is all because of what Jesus has done, received by faith, which works out in love. And this is what God wants us to know. And so, but don't miss the, there's a lot of details there. But I'm kind of summarizing what we've already talked about and what's in this whole letter. But don't miss the big point. We can know that we have an everlasting fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. That is our source of life. That is our source of blessing. That is, that is fellowship with him. That is fellowship with one another. We can know it. We can know it for sure. And that can be an endless source of peace and joy in our lives. That is what God has for us. That is why this letter is written, so that we may know it, but he also wants us not just to know it. Why do we know that we have fellowship? So we can use it, so we can actually live in fellowship with God. It's not enough to know, you know, some people, you know you're going to heaven, you know, that's a good thing to know, right? But the point of knowing it is, is to live in heaven right now. And what is it to live in heaven right now is to enjoy the fellowship with the Father and the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is living the heavenly life right now. And that's what John wants us to do. That's the second thing, is using the fellowship. We want to know it so we can live it. We want to know just like you want to have, it's not just like we want to know we have friends. You want to have friends, know you have friends so that you can enjoy time with them, so you can do things together, right? Same thing with the Lord. And one way... John highlights here that he wants us to to live in fellowship with the Father and the Son is by asking him for things. Listen to what he says. Verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So he wants us to, to recognize that One way we live in fellowship with God is that we ask him for the good things that are in accordance with his will, and then we see God responding and giving us those things. And that's how we live in fellowship with him, because he's able to give us all things. He he has control of everything, and he wants us to ask it for them, and so see even more clearly that those things come from him. And we need to see that this asking is one way that we build fellowship. 
This is true not only on a divine level, but on a human level. Um, <clears throat> recently, I was in a situation where, where neither my wife nor I could get our daughter easily to where she needed to be. And so what I did is I, I, I stopped my car from where I was over in Knoxville. I started going through a list of people. And I, and I, called, and I go, went down the alphabet, and I called people, and I finally got a hold of someone. And I asked that person, would you be willing to take my daughter to this place 15 minutes away? And the fact that I did that moved this person, and they were happy to do it, to want to be needed, to be, to be considered, to show, show this person that I thought so highly of them that I would commit my daughter to their care. And that person then also was able to have fellowship with my daughter, which was also a good thing. And so <clears throat> that's how we build community. So often we think we build community by doing things for others, right? And, and we can. That's one way. But in some ways it's almost like more when we ask others to do things for us. We show that we value them. And it's interesting. You know, here, it, here it's talking about God um, telling us we should ask him to do things for us. And that's one way we show how much we value him, how much we appreciate him, how great we think he is. But the amazing thing is, and it's all in this letter, it's not mentioned specifically here, but one way God builds fellowship with us is he asks us to do things. He asks us to do things. He says, here's my people. You know what I want you to do? I want you to love them. I want you to take care of them. I want you to help them. I want you to be a part of one another's lives. And in that way, he builds community with us. He shows us how much he values us, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works because he asks us to do things, right? And so if we want to live in fellowship with God, let's start asking him to do things. Now, one of those things we're supposed to ask him about is other people. There's kind of an interesting passage which might have some questions about in verses 16 through um, 17. It says, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. That is really interesting, really amazing. You know, you ever have, you ever look at someone and you have concern about where they're headed with their lives? Well, here's what God says. If you see them, pray and God will give them life. So why aren't we praying? Why aren't we praying? God has said he would do it. So what this teaches us is that we should be concerned not only about our own fellowship with God, but our fellowship, other people's fellowship with God and one another. And that the first response to our concern should not be to, to, to complain or even to tell somebody else about it, but to go to God and ask him to heal and bring healing. And that will also help set our heart aright when we're dealing with issues with other people, by the way, is if we bring it to the Lord. If you're struggling with someone... Bring it to the Lord. If you see someone you're concerned about, bring it to the Lord. That'll help give you the right attitude. Now, we might get hung up here a little bit, and I just want to just briefly mention it, because he says, pray for them in the sin leading to death, or the sin not leading to death. He says, I'm not praying that you, saying that you should pray about the sin leading to death. And then and you're like, well, I don't like that person, so I think they've committed a sin leading to death. I'm not going to pray for them. I don't think that's what he's saying. Um, and, and I would say it's somewhat difficult to know, but remember that Jesus actually did say that there's a sin that can't be forgiven. It's called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And what that is exactly and precisely may be a little bit difficult to nail down, but 
In substance, I think it is the repeated willful rejection of the Lord calling him Satan, in essence. That is that sin against the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I think we should be cautious about saying that someone has committed that. We should definitely be cautious about saying we have committed it. And if we feel inclined to go to the Lord and, and seek his forgiveness, we shouldn't say, well, maybe I've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit and I can't come to the Lord. If we feel we should come to the Lord, we should come to the Lord. He's the, the door is open. And so John, John is, just saying, is just saying, like, I'm still in line with what Jesus is saying here. I recognize there's some people who have gone on, and I'm not saying you should pray about that. Notice he doesn't say don't pray about it. He said that's not what I'm talking about here. He's just talking about our brothers and sisters who we see fallen into sin or struggling into sin, and he's saying we should pray for them that they'll be able to get out of that and experience the healing that God has for them so they can enjoy that fellowship with God and man that God intended for them. God is saying that when we pray for each other about those things, that God is going to do something, that he is going to work. And so he wants to encourage us to pray. And in that way, we also continue to build fellowship with other people, right? So that's concern for others' fellowship. Now, one of the things that that we may struggle with is that we see sin is so prevalent. And indeed, John says, says that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And that may make us fear that, you know, we may experience joy and fellowship with God right now and with others. But, you know, how are we going to be sure that in the future we're going to continue in that? It seems like the devil is pretty powerful. It seems like the pressures of the world are pretty powerful. And if we're honest, we see a lot in ourselves that would lead us in the wrong direction. Well, here he gives us assurance that, th- that this fellowship that we have is going to continue. And so we have this faithful God who's going to keep us. This is, listen to what he says, these beautiful words here. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. That is... They're not, going to, they're not going to keep sinning in such a way that they don't repent. They're going to be moving towards righteousness. The one who is born of God keeps them safe. That is, Jesus, who is the eternally begotten, keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. So he's saying to, that, saying to us that though the devil is powerful, though the world is powerful, though there's much within us that might lead us in the wrong direction, the one who is, there is greater, there's one who is greater, That is our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will keep us safe. We know that we are children of God. We know that the fact is that God, the the Father, has sent his Son, and his Son, who is born eternally begotten of of the Father, and so equally God, has a divine power that is able to keep us and that is greater than anything we we have in the world. So if we are his, we are kept, we are safe. Listen to what he says in verses 20 and 21, or verse 20 rather. We know also the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So what we're seeing is that Jesus Christ is the true God and the eternal life. And so he's given us this understanding. He's the one who's keeping us. 
And so the devil cannot harm us in any ultimate way that would keep us from fellowship with God and man that is eternal. We have confidence in Jesus Christ. And so that's the great assurance that we have. When we know God's commitment to us, it gives us such a confidence and fellowship with him that we don't have to wonder day by day whether he'll be with us today or for us today and against us tomorrow, but that every day he's for us. That we don't have to look at our own weaknesses and the strength of the world and think that we're going to fail because he won't fail. He is the true God and eternal life. And so we should put our confidence in him. And that contrasts with other places where we might put our confidence. And that, that leads us to that last verse, which is sort of an abrupt ending to this book. He says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So he tells us that we have this power within us by the Spirit. We have the true Son of God who's given us understanding and who's going to protect us. But that doesn't mean we just sit back passively. We are to keep ourselves from idols, from anything that would keep us away from the one true God. Notice, he he just says, Jesus is the one true God. So he's saying, put your confidence in him and not in anything else and not in any other idol. So there's a contrast there in those last two sentences as we have it. He is the true God in eternal life. Keep yourselves from idols. In other words, put all your confidence, all your hope, in him, make him first, because he's the true God, and not in an idol. And you know that when Jesus, or when, the, when John was writing this letter, he was writing it to people who had idols all around them. They, they, had, they worshipped idols everywhere, everywhere they went. It was idols, idols, idols. And that was just part of their daily life. And so they had to walk around and say, we're not going to give ourselves these things, even though it was somewhat difficult, because it was so intertwined with the daily life. But now, we may not have as many like physical images of idols that people literally bow down to in this land, though if you go to other nations of this world, you can see exactly what they were experiencing, like India. It was the exact same, it was very similar to what they had in their day. But we do have people seeking life in all sorts of things. Things that are in and of themselves good. They're seeking, li- seeking their life in their pleasures, in their work, in their families, in, the, in their community, in sports, or whatever the case may be, even in their church, as if this is the ultimate source of life, and it's the wrong place. And what we always have to remember is it's always God himself in whom we have life, and even these other things that we're involved in. We can't depend upon them in any absolute way that will disrupt and harm our fellowship with God. Not, again, an ultimate way that it will keep us from ultimate salvation and fellowship with him. The Lord will protect us. But in our part, we need to seek to keep placing Christ first. Make it the first priority. Joyful fellowship with God is first. That's where we find life. But it's interesting that idols not only destroy our relationship with God or will ruin our relationship with God, they also ruin our relationship with with others. When we put too much weight on created things, the things that God has made, it tends to bring destructive forces. And it's an interesting fact of human life that we have, that we, we, it's hard for us a lot of times just to see humans as humans. We tend to sort of give them these divine qualities. As if my hope is in my spouse or my kids or my pastor or my congregation or my friends or whatever the case may be. And we can hardly see them as just actually human beings. We also do it in the reverse way. 
as if all our evils are caused by our spouse or our parents or our kids, as if they have these superhuman powers to disrupt all our lives. We can easily take human beings or other created things and put all our hope in them. And it's disruptive to that fellowship. We need to treat other people as people. They can do us good. They can do us some harm. But they're, but they're not our ultimate hope, nor are they our ultimate harm. As uh, one poet says, all men should count with us, but none too much. And so in order to keep our fellowship with God and man, it's our responsibility to keep God in his place, created things in their place, people in the right place, and in that way we'll enjoy fellowship with God and man as we keep ourselves from idols. So let me just conclude then by just kind of trying to bring all that together and kind of what I said in this book. just want you to think about where are you this Christmas? Where is your, your focus? We've all got lots of things we got to do. But where is your focus? Does God come first? Is that where your, the center of your life is? Are, the, are you giving yourselves to the relationships that matter? And not just matter to you, but matter to Jesus. Not just the, not just the people close to you and your friends. Uh, everybody does that. But the people whom God cares about, the least of these, the people of his church, the people in our community, and so on. Are we making these things a priority? It, it begins with our relationship with God. If we find ourselves struggling with humans, we need to get things settled with our Father because we need to look to him as the source of our love. As John puts it here in 1 John 4, we rely on the love of God. We're not relying on the love of other people. We can accept it as a gift, but where our reliance is, is on the love of God. And we need to be clear on that. We need to know that we're forgiven through Jesus Christ. We need to know that we have eternal life. And we need to experience and enjoy that fellowship. That's where everything centers. And indeed, it should be a pleasure. Because truly, to enjoy fellowship with God is an extremely pleasant thing. Knowing that even though we deserve him to come to us as a strict judge that would condemn us because of our sin and he would be fully within his rights to do so, he has said, I will accept you freely because of what Jesus has done. I will give you my spirit to enable you to respond to me. I will give you my love. I will take care of you. Everything must work together for your good. Come and enjoy fellowship with me. You put that first, I'll take care of everything. It's a very pleasant thing to stop and enjoy the fellowship with God. This is not hard work in and of itself, even though it may be hard to tear ourselves away from other things. That's the, that's the focus. It's what we're made for. There's nothing better than fellowship with God. But then we also need to see that, that one way we can tell where our fellowship with God is is how we relate to other people. That's one clear message from the book of John, is that you cannot divorce your relationship with God from your relationship with other people in either direction. And so if we love God, then we should love his people. If God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. We need to think about these things together. We need to think about where am I with God and my priorities, but also where am I with people. If we need to get things right with people, we need to get things right with people. If we, are, if we are, see our disruption, we need to work on that. If we see that we're not good at relating to people, then we need to get better by God's grace. He'll help us with that. We need to be good at theology 
and good at relationships. That's the Christian life. And Jesus has shown us the way. And he's done it all. He has shown us what it is to love. And he continues to give us the power to love. This is how we know what love is, in fact. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we, then, ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So may it be. Amen.